for one element of, of, of the PR. So certainly for um, from a communications perspective, early stage companies, the biggest PR asset by a mile that the company has is the founder. So I think what you need to do is, um, you know, use a similar kind of, there's a, there's a couple of sort of tool, tools that you can use to kind of sort of set out what your message might, might, might be. And, and the reason the TED Talk is particularly relevant is, you know, I would urge anyone to look at the classic hero's journey sort of arc, which, you know, is the, is the sort of narrative arc in most sort of Hollywood. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine figure businesses and talking higher level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. Now, PR is a struggle for most companies. And even if it's not a struggle, for you, well, then you really don't know actually how to optimize it and take it to the next level. This next individual is an expert in this. He is a uh, CEO and founder of PPR, which is pay-as-you-go PR service for your s- startup. Now, the reason why I wanted to have him on is because he has founded the company after 15 years in tech PR, working with brands such as BBC, Universal Music, Transfer Wise. Mirror Group, and dozens of other startups and businesses to solve the problem of high sunk cost agency retainer fees that put quality PR out of reach for most startups. One of the things I've known, I have a friend of mine that actually struggled with finding a PR. He's got a cool book publishing company. And the thing was, is he was having a hard time finding a really dialed in PR business. And that right there is the struggle. A lot of people pay this massive fee. They really don't actually get any return on investment. And that's the reason why I wanted to have next guest, co-founder and CEO of PPR, Matt Phillips. How are you doing, my man? I'm very good, Christian. Thank you for having me on. Well, hey, I'm really excited about diving into this because one of the things I really want to emphasize is we always think about like different acquisition channels as a company. And some of us, we don't really know how to actually effectively leverage the PPR, um, you know, um, you know, the PR side of things, actually effectively leverage it. It's an amazing asset if you know how to use it correctly. You're expert at really dialing in stories to really attract that ideal client and what that call to action is. But if you could kind of help me understand, like, what do you think majority of business owners get wrong when it comes to PR? Oh, God, where do I start? I think, well, one, one, one good place to start um, is not knowing when to start. And um, I think with, with, with PR, there's almost like um, an unofficial law of physics, uh, which kind of dictate when is the right time for you to start. And I'll start with one of the reasons why my company is called PPR, and that stands for power, presence and reputation. And those are the three things that really get journalists interested in individuals and in businesses. I'll start with, uh, with power. Uh, it's you know human nature that we pay attention to the 500 pound gorilla 
it's just hardwired into us and people with perceived power and influence have enormous gravitas i mean you only have to witness you know elon musk only has to tweet uh, and then that has an influence on the markets so much so that he bought the company um how victor kayam is that uh but you know he um but you know he that power is it has enormous gravitas and that's probably the most important starting point and small companies tend not to have much power so this is a point that is often missed is that's what journalists sort of really respond to so that's power the second is presence we don't recall or remember things that we just don't recall there we you know journalists don't think to go oh i wonder who that really interesting tech startup that's invested in ai for uh, antelopes or whatever it crazy thing it may be unless they remember you and then unless they've seen you around they're not gonna they're not gonna come to you so it takes time for you to build visibility amongst journalists for them to come to you as a reliable source in the future so it's power and it's presence and then finally reputation it's and i would define reputation as being consistency of competency and consistency of character so it's about competency knowing what you're what you what you do um communicating what you do and proving to the outside world that you can do what you say and consistency of character we go to people that we trust that we believe share our value system right and those are the sort of the overarching frameworks what 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 you can't do from a pr perspective for any small company is give it power because it doesn't doesn't have any but what you can do is start to build that company up as a kind of opinion leader i'm sure we'll come on to that so um but one of the main issues is it's thinking that just because you're in an interesting sector or because you've got a great product that's necessarily going to translate into journalists wanting to write about you and that is that is a key key thing um Another mistake that I think companies often make is thinking that PR is the same as marketing, um, uh, whereas I would describe them as two opposite sides of the same coin. You know, both both are concerned with external relationships, but the the, the things that interest a journalist are very different to the things that interest a customer. And a customer is interested in what value you can deliver for them, what problems you can solve for them. As journalists don't care about that. They don't really care about products. They don't really care about value propositions. They don't really care about brands. They're interested in charismatic people that are changing the world around them and have something interesting to say. And, and that means by nature, the message that you're, you've got to sort of settle on is that kind of emotional and rational, you know, I, I care, I'm out in the world to, to change things. It's got nothing to do with the product and the brand. Now, for founders, those things are too inter interrelated, right? Because if you start a company, it's because you care about something and usually you're following your, your heart and you create your business to bring you with you and uh, bring people with you and that and that the most successful communicators are companies that do that really really well but there's lots of companies that don't so i would say pr and marketing are two very very different things chiefly because you have a journalist to convince to get you the coverage whereas marketing at paid media and ad spend are things that are entirely within your control so they're two two really really super uh, different disciplines the other thing it's damned expensive it is really expensive to do PR um, because of all the risk that comes with it, all the experience that PR professionals bring. Because PR is more about, certainly in my field of B2B PR, is more about 
um, sort of convincing, uh, working along to sort of, I suppose, triangulate what the company has to say, what what the what the what the person has to offer, what the journalist wants to hear, and that creative process in real time to meet media opportunity is really hard and high risk. So I think it's go into it with your eyes open and it's expensive. It's really, really hard. And there's certain things that, you know, the best PR of the person in the will can't do just because you don't have enough sort of scale and traction. So yeah, that, that'd be my main sort of errors that people make. Well, what I, what I always find so interesting about like just with different, those different channels, what you're saying is there's such a strategic approach to it. There's a proper way of doing things. I was talking to someone that all he does is he helps coaches, consultants, and authors get a TEDx gig. And the way he was explaining it to me was there's such a strategic way of creating a really good dialed in 10, 15 minute TEDx talk. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because see, I look at the same thing with PR and that's what you guys focus on. A lot of business owners, maybe they have a PR team or maybe like you said, they realize that this is a necessity and they don't know exactly how to optimize it. And what happens with you is you already have that experience, that expertise, and you can come and say, hey, this is how to structure it because this is going to get the most optimal result, right? And um, you know, I like what you said as well as a paradigm shift. It's you got to think about it totally different when it comes to marketing versus you know, PR. Uh, and I know you said it is very difficult. So if you can kind of help our, our audience understand, okay, well, what am I measuring when it comes to PR? What are some metrics that I'm looking at? And what's the result that I, I hope to get from that? And then as well as like, what's the long, the time scale? Because sometimes PR is a little bit more, uh, more of a longer play, but it does work out. So if you could maybe kind of unpack that a little bit. Okay. Uh, the first thing I would say um, is if you're, gonna, if you're treating public relations mainly like a sales channel or an extra um element uh, of your of your marketing uh, and your aim is to drive traffic and your aim is to hit sales in the short term you're going to be disappointed because it, it pounds for pound dollar for dollar it, it it's not the most effective way of doing that it's a similar argument really to advertising you know there's brand advertising versus direct response sales activation they're two two very different things and br brand is for those guys who, you, out there who know your marketing funnels, I think PR can have an impact all the way through the funnel in the sense that sometimes people will read about a company and go, oh, that's interesting, I'll go and buy it because you might hear about them, but you're, you're seldom going to read about a company close to the point of sale, right? But it can happen sometimes. It's also upper funnel in the sense that if you didn't know that there was a um, that your problem could be solved, you might well go out there and, and see a company and go, "Oh, that's interesting. I might, I might know this." So it's about awareness, but I would argue that certainly in business to business PR, it's the middle of the funnel. It has its most impact because if you think about it, if someone's doing due diligence on a bunch of companies and they Google you and they see that you've got sort of hits on hits on you know wired tech crunch and a lot of great titles on your first page of google they're more likely to trust you than they are necessarily company b who might not have those sort of same credentials and the, the way that what that brings me to is it's actually quite hard to measure in that respect because you're not necessarily going to know at what point the prs had the impact in converting to sales so i think measuring it to the nth degree can be a bit of a, a waste of time because you just have to take the leap of faith that 
ultimately people respond to media coverage, maybe not in the moment, but certainly at a later point. A most one practical way of doing it, rather than worry about, you know, UTMs and tagging and backlinks, is just simply to ask, if you're certainly if you're in a B2B context, where did you hear about us? Uh, and then sometimes someone might recall, oh yeah, I read about it in Wired, but they might not. Or they might not know whether it was wired or it was the direct mail they got. So it's it's really tough, tough to measure. So I think like a lot of brand marketing, you kind of have to do it at a point when you can afford to have a little bit of quote unquote wastage, a bit like any brand advertising. But you know, there's this rule in advertising that you should spend 60%-ish on brand versus 40% on activations. It's a sort of classic ad rule. And I would say the same PR is in that sort of 60% uh, sort of bucket. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of how you would measure ROI. In terms of, um, we were, as in with difficulty, in terms of what we do as part of our offer, we, um, we just charge by outcome, right? So uh, if we are able to get you a piece of coverage in say, I don't know, Nature uh, magazine or, uh, you know, or on NBC, whatever it may be, these titles have different sort of tiering based on what we think the impact is of them. And then we price accordingly. So that's kind of how we do it. But um, that, that's sort of kind of, and you just have to go, well, is that worth my money or not? Let's, let, let's, let's think about that. But that, it's, it's notoriously difficult. Well, what's interesting about that, and, and I love that approach with your offer, because, you know, one, it's attached to results, and people are willing to pay for results. They don't just want, hey, 15 Gs, retainer, regardless if we, we get you on or not, or regardless if we create anything. But also, I appreciate you kind of uh, giving a little bit of context for business owners to understand, you know, okay, it's it's not the... You know, it's a long play and it's a long-term strategy and you're not looking at, okay, hey, within the next 30 days, what's that sales cycle? Have we got phone calls, whatever. Like it's just a different approach and that's why I appreciate you emphasizing it. Now, I want to kind of pivot a little bit and dial into the actual actual structure uh, because there are obviously, like I was talking about, there's a strategy behind it. And I think you do a really great job on your website, uh, pprconsulting.co.uk that allows you to really kind of dial in and say, okay, this is the proper structure. So like, let's say for example, a CEO or, um, you know, a founder that uh, may not be hands-on or may not know like a good blueprint of what should be on there, what shouldn't be on there. Uh, you kind of walk through that. So if you could kind of unpack that as well, I think that'd be awesome for our, for our audience. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned earlier the, 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 the guy who does the sort of advice on TED Talks, uh, and that, that's a really good primer for, for, for one element of, of, of the PR. So certainly for, um, from a communications perspective, early stage companies, the biggest PR asset by a mile that the company has is the founder. So I think what you need to do is, um, you know, use a similar kind of, there's a, there's a couple of sort of tool, tools that you can use to kind of sort of set out what your message might, might, might be. And, and the reason the TED Talk is particularly relevant is, you know, I would urge anyone to look at the classic hero's journey sort of arc, which, you know, is the, is the sort of narrative arc in most sort of Hollywood sort of feel-good films, whether it's Luke Skywalker or Rocky Balboa. These are ordinary people that go into an extraordinary world, have conflict, learn something, and then come back and share the message. And actually, a lot of companies are founded through that arc. You know, people have gone through an experience. They've had them uh, kind of a eureka moment. They've met allies. They've seen an enemy or a problem. And they, they are driven to kind of solve it. 
And so I would just li literally Google the, the hero's journey, the 12 steps on it and ask yourself those tw 12 questions and write it out as a Q&A. And that as a piece of content is, is going to be a huge asset for a founder uh, at the start of their journey, not least because it's what investors want to hear as much as you know, prospective employees, prospective business partners and journalists alike. So the hero's journey arc is a really good way of, of sort of um, sort of setting it out. And I think within any founder's story, there, there have to be four key messages. Um, the, one, the one has got to be personal drive, personal mission. This is about me trying to achieve something in the world. And it has to, if it's authentic and credible, then that will go an awfully long way. So it's about, about the individual. The second is about the brand. And when I say brand, I mean, I don't mean logo. I mean, the idea of the company, of the, in the, the promise to the audience, the brand is, is liked by people. You need to be able to demonstrate that people like this idea, whether that's third party advocates or what your proof points are, could be varied, but you need to demonstrate proof that people like your idea. The third is commercial traction. If you have commercial traction and can prove growth in use user numbers or revenues, or, um, or even, you know, that's why funding rounds get so much um, sort of uh, media coverage, because that's a moment in time that proves commercial tra traction in, in many respects. And the final is your category. You need to be, if you can demonstrate you're in a growth category and you're on the right side of history, then those four things should probably go somewhere in your, your story. So it's, if you like, it's an expansion of your classic problem solution elevator pitch. And that's, that's a really good sort of narrative structure the other one i like is sort of simon sinek's circle um his golden circle but with one key addition which is who so so you know so simon circle goes from the outside of you know the basic what it is you do then one layer in is the kind of how you do it the layer in from that is why you do it but the important piece actually is who you do it for and who you service and if you can answer those four questions then you're in a pretty good shape in terms of your, your your own messaging and that will work well and serve you well through your brand brand communications so when you go through milestones as a company whether it's a funding round a diversification a key hire you you want to go refer back to that story every single time and that's that's the, your, your own news narrative having said all that and going back to where i started which is most companies don't create news opinion is probably where you're going to have the most traction so it's about identifying the topics that matter to your audience as in the people you're trying to reach through the journalists and having a point of view on those on those issues and specifically being able to offer a specific audience, a specific course of action and a proof point to validate it. So it's not like the industry needs to deal with this problem. It's like this person needs to change this thing for this reason. Here's some proof as to why. And if you can get that thought leadership really sort of pointed, then that, that, that's, that's really the, the, the best place sort of to start so i call that the difference between news the things that you do the things that you say about your brand and views the points of view that you take uh, a position on to, for the benefit of uh, uh, you know your, your wider community wow that was actually really, really good insight i'm taking notes over here because i think that's just very effective approach like you said the strategic approach and that's why i really appreciate you unpacking now um 
let me ask you this because what I always find very interesting is with the PR world. Well, and I know you, you specialize in the startup world, but I also do know like at some point, you know, like some SaaS companies, right? Sometimes you may not want you as a personal brand on the front end representing the company because it may be at some point you want to sell that and whatever and have an exit strategy. And so I, I'm always intrigued and I've seen some experiences with bigger companies where they leverage someone else's story, maybe a client story that facilitate kind of the, the same engagement, like that hero journey. Um, however, though, I like to get your response on like how you're able to leverage that same structure, which you just told us uh, for companies that maybe do not want that personal brand for themselves as the CEO. Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I think you can do, uh, particularly if you, if you don't want to be front and foremost as a founder, then simple things like creating case studies, um, simple things like uh, you know, creating data points that, that bring new insights to the issues you know, around, around your sector. Then, then those things can can be effective in, in PR. But I would still go back, back to you know the point that pe people buy people. Journalists are interested in people, and fundamentally, the, the the founder is important. Now, not now lots of companies, however, you know, get to a point where the founder is not in the business, or the founder doesn't want to be visible, and, and those are very valid things. There is enormous media appetite to hear diverse voices with different points of view. So if you have speak spoke to people who don't fit the mold of the sort of male and pale cliche, then that's going to go a, lot, a long way because the media is crying out for those voices to be heard. So it's, it's looking at the next sort of generation of spokespeople for sure. But I would say that for a tech company, you know, the, the, you could argue that the primary role of the CEO is the chief evangelist of the company, the brand and the purpose. In, in answer to that concern as to I don't want it all to be about me and I don't want, I want the company to stand on its own feet because there is a you know it's good business practice for an, to build an organization that doesn't require you in it because that's your exit strategy and that's how to build an effective company right but there is a time for that uh, and there and, and I think when you're at sort of series D pre-IPO, big going great guns then the founder can perhaps take the foot off the gas a little bit and play a less of a less of a role but still going to be your probably your primary asset up until that point unless you don't have that as an asset in which case you know you find other, find other ways but you know a charismatic or at least visible founder who has authenticity is, is by far the biggest asset and i would sort of go get over yourself get out there, be authentic, tell the story, because the best way, if the company is being sort of formed in your feet by you for a reason, then it's going to have a better chance of doing that if it's more famous and you're probably the best person to make that happen. So it's a, ba it's a balance. Well, and, um, and I appreciate that insight because I, I do see like probably some of our audience are probably thinking that, but like you just said, the most effective, like you want the best result. And so you do need to obviously think of that and just be resourceful in the way you approach it. Uh, now, I would like to dial back into the, the conversation, the structure, um, because correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, you know, it, it's, it's like an art and a science to be able to kind of bring this all together and to effectively, okay, hey, you got creativity in regards to story, but also you're bringing in about that opinion, keyword research, whatever it is, that topic, that hot topic, making sure that you're getting in front of that. So it's not just um, not effective PR. Uh, and then as well as it's engaging, 
but also on the back end, there's enough data during, uh, during with your PR. Because uh, I've seen some press releases where it's just all data and it's boring. Um, you know, and then there's others that it's just a great story and that's wonderful, but it really didn't add any more, more data, like you said, more. and so there is this art and science and, and I love for you to kind of help me walk through, like, how do you guys do that? Or, or what do you guys see when you take on a project or maybe, maybe give us a, a client example of saying, Hey, this is a really tough project, like B2B manufacturer or something like that. And say, Hey, this is what we're able to do to effectively help that PR I'll give you I'll give you one example. So um, uh, the one one thing I always go for I use the phrase north star, right? And your, your north star is I would say one data point that that is a measure of the problem your company is trying to solve, and and that as a data point is your north star because you always point to that. And if you're making a point and gets into that point whether you're in a verbal interview or writing an opinion piece or putting out a press release that that's the thing you're aiming to solve right so always have data and i, and I get what you're saying about press releases because that's what journalists do where's the data where's the data where's the data does this make sense and then, then they piece the story together with the data points right so having good data is really really important as well as that beautiful narrative that I've just described, the hero's journey, et cetera, you definitely need those data points in, in order to do it. So the North Star is the problem you're trying, trying to solve. Um, I'll come to an example in a minute. Um, the other data points I would consider is um, uh, every story has an arc. There's always uh, a journey and without traveling, there's no story. So that points to three key data points. What was the number yesterday? What is the number today? And what will it be tomorrow? And if you can sell that story, then, then that will really help people go, all oh, right, I can put all this into context and, and, and piece it together. And I've, I've seen, um, you know, uh, particularly investor decks, when you're talking about, I don't know, a $50 billion market that is the addressable market, but yet your revenues are, you know, $200,000 in the previous year, it lacks credibility. So you need to be able to sort of position what bit of that you're going after and put it all put it all in, in, into context, and that will help you tell your story. The other thing is a rule of three, which is I would say no more than three key messages, you know, because otherwise you're going to get key people are going to get kind of lost lost in it. So um, you know, I would avoid if you've got a message out there that says you know, with the best in class, proprietary, blah de blah, with this that and the other. If it hasn't got a proof point. So no, no adjectives that are unsubstantiated. Leader, okay, well, leader of what? You, you substantiate it with numbers or otherwise it's just fluff and gets completely looked over by, by the journalist. So it's an art in the sense that you are, yes, constructing language that is simple, that is engaging, but at the same time it has to be backed up by, by, by proof. So I'll give you one example. Um, one of my, uh, which is 20, 24 million cars, and that is the number of um, the carbon reduction that one of our clients could potentially uh, um, affect upon the world if, if, um, if their solution was adopted by every, every company in the US. So that, that, that's just one. To put it into more into context, it's a company, that, an engineering company out in, um, in Ogden in Utah called Cunergy. And specifically what they do is that they uh, reduce methane, uh, natural gas wells. Uh, natural gas wells are one of the biggest emitters of methane. 
and, and most people probably know this, but methane's like a climate change catalyst because it's 84 times more powerful than carbon in terms of its warming capability. But the good news is it disperses more quickly. The problem is it's a decentralized issue, whereas most solutions to it are centralized, as in, um, you know, weight landfills and, uh, and it, it's like in cows and it's landfills. It's all over the place, right? So it's not an easy thing to solve, but actually the technology exists to do it. Now, all that messaging, you might well lose in the ether, but you'll remember 24 million cars and that is their kind of North Star. So as, as, from that point of view, you can build really compelling narratives around the right data points. Well, that's why to me, I, as like a copywriter and a marketer, you always know, like you can get bored with the data and you lose people. And like psychologically, we understand how people work better with stories. But like mm. you just mentioned, it's like, how do I integrate that properly? And that's the art and science together. I appreciate kind of walking me through that a little bit with a client of yours, because that is tough. But like you said, you do, you're able to uh, effectively do it. Now, my question is, is with like content creation, um, is it more... Is it like the approach, is it better to more focus on the quantity game or is it quality or is it a mix of both? Good question. I think, I think, that, well, in terms of the amount of copy that you write, I think if you've got compelling story as an underlying sort of structure of, 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 of what you're saying, you can actually rewrite that many, many different times. So if I go back to my sort of point about three, three messages, you can write, say the same thing again and again and again and again. And, and you can odds on say that by the time you are bored with what you're saying, that is when other people start to hear it because we have so much, our attention is in so many different places that you, you do need to repeat, 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 but not the same soundbite again and again and again, but it's about delivering the same message in, in, a, in a different way. So in terms of what we, we write, um, for, our, for our clients, I would definitely advocate quality over quantity because, you know, lo low quality content, journalists get this all the time and they're just not, not interested. So then the question is, well, what is, what is quality? Um, for, for me, we um, have a test called, that we call the six A's, which is six elements to, um, to a, a piece of content, usually an opinion, written opinion piece. And there needs to be six things that are abundantly clear from, from, the, from reading the copy. One is audience. It has to be absolutely explicitly clear who you are talking to. And I don't mean brands. And I don't mean, uh, you know, auto manufacturers, because these are too many people. It's too big an audience to, to kind of latch onto. Whereas if I'm saying um, uh, the, 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 the guy who runs Tesla, then you're absolutely immediately clear who that is. So I think the audience needs to be able to identify themselves in the story really clearly. And I think that's, that, that's, that's one, one test. The second is arc. Before I talked about the kind of the data points and the before, during and after, there's an arc in everything. And then there's a journey that you're going through. And in every journey, there is tension. If you haven't got tension in your story, the chances are, it's going to fall on deaf ears because we care about the past and the future, the light and the dark, the good and the evil, the, the left and the right, etc. There is always a tension in every story because change means different things to different people, some good, some bad. So you need to be able to see what that change is. The third is authority. 
you need to be able to demonstrate that you have some authority in order for the audience to trust you. So it might be a reference to a case study or a data point or something that you, you've done in your past that makes the audience go, oh, right, I believe there's a connection with what you're saying and, and, and what you're what you're what you're wanting us to do, which leads you to my fourth, which is ask or action. And I think it needs to be abundantly clear to the audience what they do with the message. You've got to be delivering a message to, to get someone to do something because otherwise it's not communication. It's just talking into in, into into thin air. So it's much better to be absolutely explicitly clear what you want the audience to do. And from a PR perspective, the action cannot be buy my product. It might be look for a test that helps me identify that I'm in your audience, or it might be, have you got, have you ever thought that this or that, or something that makes you go, oh, right, okay, yeah, makes you think, what do I have to do next with that, that information? Then there's argument. Uh, so you need to have third party proof points that substantiate your, what you're asking that audience to do. And then finally, attention. And this is a key one in PR, which is what the journalists are paying attention to. And that's the thing you have to bear in mind, which is, you know, there's usually topics or there's events or there's news. So you have to be able to hook your, your opinion or your thought leadership onto, um, on, onto an event in the real world to make it relatable. The, the journalists will go, oh, right, that's top. That's interesting. I'm just writing about NFTs or or you know, the metaverse or whatever it may be, but that, that, that it has to be quite sort of topical. Um, and from a PR perspective, so a point of view on um, you know, Google's domination in search a week before Alphabet publishes their results is a timely time to have that because you know the journalists are gonna be looking at that or third party cookies before the, whatever it may be, an issue. But it's, um, there's a way of identifying the issues that are out there that are relevant to you um, uh, or relevant to your audience and that you should have a point of view on. So yeah, those are the sort of six A's. And if you've got that in your copy, then you're in a pretty good place. And I appreciate you bringing up uh, hot trends and like, you know, more topics and so forth, because that was my next question. And kind of like, do you do you pivot very quickly and, you know, jump on those trends? Because naturally you can get some really just organic uh, traffic to that. And like you said as well, you're, the journalist will most likely kind of, you know, um, um, work with you and deploy that effectively. Um, so uh, what is that ratio, if you will, like, okay, hey, about 10% of our energy is on hot topics. The other 90% is over here, more substantial, long-term um, kind of projects. I think it's probably about, for us, 80-20, and that the reason in favor of topics and issues. And the reason I say that um, is because, going back to where I started, which is most companies are not able to command the spotlight in the in the same way. So I think if you've got um, if you've written your hero's journey founder story, there are places that will feature founders of a certain level of traction um, if they have a compelling story. Without a, a massive news story, it, you know, it might be that it's just the story is compelling enough. And it might be there's a sort of gentle, gently topical, but it doesn't have to be like a hot news related because people feature people all, all the time. So once you've got that, you can kind of, that pitch can be a slower burn that you can put in different places and, and, and reuse. But when it comes to commenting on the issues, when the journalists are, and the reporters are writing features or, or, or reflecting on the news agenda, if you can put a comment or opinion under their nose at the time they use, they're much more likely to sort of feature you and then come back to you as a as an expert with with a, with a point of view um 
you know, and I think suffice to say, if the point of view is the same as everybody else's, it's less likely to be used. But if you're bringing something different and unique and original to it, whether that's the, the, the type of spokesperson, whether it's taking the contrary view that everyone else you would, would think, or it could be just tone and flair in, 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 the lang in the language that you use. And, you know, that's good copywriters are really important in that regard because journalists don't tend to write quotes that are written in corporate style. They want la as spoken language that's accessible and, and human and that's more likely to be used. So keep it simple, um, you know, be topical um, and, um, and be, be there at the right time. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Now, let me ask you this on the back end. Okay. Uh, let's say, for example, you write out some really good piece of copy, really beautiful PR. What is the deployment strategy? Is it very strategic and saying, hey, let's get you on several interviews. Uh, this is a big news. Let's really deploy this. Or is it more of just, hey, posting it, pushing it out into distribution of leveraging some journalists and pushing that out? Uh, what does that look like and making the most effective? We usually, if we've got um, a piece, let's start with news first, right? So if you've got a piece of news, we will do, do a kind of a, an assessment of, of how newsworthy it is and how impactful it is, because impact is probably the most important thing um, when it comes to news. So does it involve any famous names? Does it involve a big number? Those are the two go-to go points. A, a massively important point, does it have a photo? Right, because store news. There's no news without a photo, right? So if you've got, you have you have to have a photo to accompany a significant news story. I and mean, if you've got those three things, you go, well, yeah, okay. You have a, a judgment on where you think that will land based on what journalists will write about. So for the most part, a seed stage company ain't going to make it into the Wall Street Journal. There are exceptions to that. If Warren Buffett started a pre-seed company tomorrow, he'd get in the Wall Street Journal. But for mere mortals like you and I, it's not going to happen. So I think you have there's a law, there's that law of physics that goes, okay, what I'm not you you give it proportionate effort based on where you think it's it's going 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 to land. Um, similarly, you know, if it's a fairly ordinary company at Series A and it's done a sub $15 million round, it's probably not going to get into TechCrunch. But there are certain things that can bend that if the narrative is strong, if the number is good, if there's a famous investor involved, those things like that can sort of, so you have to take an assessment of how strong is this news story, and then you make recommendations as to where you're going to sell it in. Um, and I would usually go, I'd have top my top three targets based on the best and then option B and option C, because it might be that your the timing of that funding round comes in a day when I don't know. Um, I keep going back to it, but Twitter, Twitter, by you know being bought by bought by Musk, you get it all lined up, and then a story like that drops, and it's like boom, you're not getting anywhere near it. So you, you have to be a little bit sort of flexible, but but you sell it as an as an exclusive. Um, and then give the journalist a bit of time under embargo to take a view on whether they think it's of interest or not, because they are really, really busy. It might be a great story with all the things right, but you don't know what's going on in their world, right? So in that respect, you need to give the journalist a little bit of time to, to, to mull it, have first refusal on it, and then you sort of sell it in, sell it in, sell it in. If none of that works and you just it's just not landing, then a sort of a, pre a press wire is sometimes good from an SEO perspective because you can get sometimes syndications through the bigger 
press wire services and that means that you'll sort of feature in google eventually for it and it puts it on the record but you know press wise don't generally generate organic coverage of their own of their own back they quite useful from an seo perspective so yeah that's that's sort of how you do a, a news selling with opinion it's totally different um i would say that um when we do uh, take on new clients we do a, a rudimentary pest analysis which if, if, if you, you, most people may well be familiar with it, but if you're not, it's a little bit like a SWOT analysis, but it looks at the externalities that your company faces and it defines the context in which your business operates. So PEST stands for political, economic, socio-economic and technological trends. And generally speaking, political events and economic events drive the news agenda so go, going back to my um the, the example of the the, the Cunergy, my client who invested in methane mitigation there is a political cycle around the clean air act at the moment um and biden is considering kind of the implementation of that uh, through congress and there's, it, that, there's a sort of political timetable and when those bills get read or considered or discussed in the house that is the point at which journalists will start to engage on the on the issue so if you're going to have an opinion on the clean air act the time to surface that and approach a journalist with a point of view is just before or in and around um, when it's going to happen this is what big companies and big pr agencies do brilliantly because they have big public affairs teams who understand the political calendar deeply but a little bit of research will help you understand the sort of the political cycle. That doesn't mean to say that you're political in what you say. You don't have to back, you know, back red or blue. But what you, do, but but you do have to bear in mind the time frames. Okay, so that's political. Then you've got the economic time frame, which is usually driven by things like um, uh, trade trade body results. It's driven by company results. Uh, you know, I mentioned. Um, I might have mentioned uh, Meta's results earlier or Google's results. That's a time at which you might sort of surface opinion on what you think those companies, what, what they're doing means to your, to your, to your sector. So that's the, the, the news agenda. And then the features agenda is driven by sort of socioeconomic and technical trends. So there's things like NFTs, things like working from home, remote working. Those are examples of trends that journalists often come back to um, and visit throughout the year. So you need to sort of get close to the media titles you want to be covered in, get close to the editors or, or find out what their features program is. A lot of publications will tell you that from an advertising perspective because they want people to buy for our NFT special, you know, media space. So you can find out when those are and get a sense of the time frame. So it's about getting your story straight and then picking the right time to approach a journalist um, to get them to engage on the on the story. Wow. Wow. I really appreciate that because again, it's what I've noticed just with the data that you just shared is being able to really just effectively make sure you get the most maximum uh, uh, output of this strategy. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. I just uh, immense value. And I really appreciate that uh, because you're, uh, again, it's sprinkling that stuff in. And like you said, it's not like you're going red or uh, red or uh, blue. It's more of just say, hey, this is the strategies behind it to, you know, jump on that trend, jump on that conversation. Um, I was actually reading when uh, the G8 summit 
always occurs. I always read a lot of articles beforehand. And so naturally, there are a lot of opinion pieces talk about what they're going to be discussing, what we should be expecting, what should we see and all that stuff. And then naturally, they have their own little uh, back end of what they're what they're kind of promoting, talking about whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I got to know more about it. Um, so again, just like you said, it's very, very strategic. Um, uh, Matt, I, again, I appreciate the immense value that you brought in really unpacking a lot of the details. That's a lot of information. And that's the reason why you built the business that you did. So it's like, hey, I can I can take this off of your your business and I can do it for you, right? Uh, so Matt, how can our audience reach out to you and and be part of what you got going on, man? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think um, well, I'm, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I, I publish on there quite a lot. Um, sort of my thoughts and I do my own PR through that really. So um, yeah, you can just find me. I'm just Phillips Matt. So or Google Matt Phillips PPR Consulting, and you'll you'll find me quite quick. And as you mentioned up top, um, our website is pprconsulting.co.uk. Awesome. And guys, those links will be in the description below. So make sure you just stop what you're doing and, and uh, you know, implement this strategy and just understanding that that different structure and different mindset and that paradigm and understanding how, how to leverage these assets uh, to the highest level for your business. Uh, Matt, I always like to ask my guests before we jump off here and, and, and uh, um, with our time here, what are, what are a few other parts of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, goodness me. That's a broad one. Uh, do you know what I was? I was I, I'm I'm part of um, a business book club, and um, every month we sort of pick on a theme. Um, and um, I read about stoicism recently, um, and so I read. Uh, my biggest piece of advice would be read more about stoicism because it'll make you feel better. But but I think there's there's so many sort of takeouts that you can have from a business perspective. That are some great nuggets. Like one is. Um, you know, always try and leave people better than you found them. Invest in a relationship, give value, be nice. And otherwise, don't get don't don't get too worried about external events that that, that are out of your control. You know, put, put your focus on what you can what you can control, and lots of other nuggets besides. So, yeah, that's my latest thing: stoicism. <laughs> Awesome. I love that, actually. I really love that. And uh, great words of wisdom there. You guys, that is Matt Phillips, CEO of PPR. Until next time, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And remember, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That would be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations guys that is journey with christian davis podcast and until next time remember be uncommon if you can cheers